Hello, this is Robert Whittaker with the Dominal Podcast, and this one concerns the posterior abdominal wall. First, let's look at the abdominal aorta. The descending thoracic aorta passes behind the diaphragm at T12 with the median arcuate ligament lying anteriorly to it. As it becomes the abdominal aorta, the inferior vena cava lies to its right side and the sympathetic chain on the left side lies posterior to it. First let's look at its anterior branches. Coming off it as soon as it emerges into the abdomen at the T12 level is the celiac trunk. We know that this is the arterial supply for the foregut and we'll look briefly at it again shortly. The next anterior branch is the superior mesenteric artery which comes off at L1 which incidentally is on the transpyloric plane. Then at L3 is the inferior mesenteric artery. The bifurcation of the aorta occurs at L4 and there is a small midline continuation of the aorta in the form of the median sacral artery. Now we can go back to the upper part of the artery again and look at the lateral branches. The first branch off, just as it comes into the abdomen laterally on each side, is the inferior phrenic artery. This artery essentially supplies the diaphragm, but it has a small branch which comes down as the upper suprarenal artery. A little below that, there is a next branch from the aorta, which is the main suprarenal artery, and then at about L1, or just below, there is the renal artery. The renal artery on each side passes to the kidney with its upper, apical, posterior, middle and lower branches. And there's also a branch which goes superiorly to the suprarenal. So that's three arterial supplies for the suprarenal gland, one from the inferior phrenic, one straight from the aorta and one from the renal. And the final branch from the renal artery is the ureteric branch which supplies the upper part of the ureter. A little below the renal artery emerges the gonadal artery, but this is not quite lateral. It comes off about halfway round the circumference of the aorta between the anterior branches and the lateral ones. A little below this, but coming laterally, are the lumbar arteries, which of course also supply the spinal cord, as the little branches go in through the intervertebral foramina. As we said, the aorta bifurcates at L4 into the two common iliac arteries and then on each side we get an external iliac and an internal iliac artery. We'll deal with the branches of the internal iliac artery when we reach the pelvis. But just to note that from the external iliac artery before it goes underneath the inguinal ligament there is the inferior epigastric artery and two smaller branches called the deep circumflex iliac and its little superior pubic branch, which has an important part to play as an accessory obturator artery when the main artery is missing. And lastly, the external iliac artery gives off a small cremisteric branch which goes into the deep inguinal ring. It's worth noting that as the abdominal aorta passes behind the diaphragm, it has an azygos vein on either side of it, and on its right side also, there is the cisterna chile. Lying anterior to the aorta are the pancreas, the splenic vein, the left renal vein, 
the third part of the duodenum, the small bowel mesentery, paraaortic nodes, the autonomic plexus, the lesser sac, the stomach, the omentum, and the small bowel. Now, for the sake of some recapitulation, let's just very quickly look at the branches of the celiac trunk, which we know supply the foregut. Arising from anterior from the aorta at the level of T12 are the left gastric artery, the hepatic artery, and the splenic artery. We can see the little diagram that accompanies this podcast that these are supplying the various parts of the foregut, just in the way that we described in the section on the stomach. Then we can look equally briefly at the branches of the superior mesenteric artery, and we can remind ourselves that we must supply the inferior part of the duodenum, so we need the inferior pancreaticoduodenal branch, and then the middle colic branches, and then we supply the small bowel with jejunal, ileal, and the ileocolic down to the cecum and the appendix and not to forget the right colic branch as well. And then we can look equally briefly at the branches of the inferior mesenteric artery, arising largely to the left side of the abdomen, and there is a left colic artery with a superior and an inferior branch, and then there's a left lower colic, sigmoid branches, and also the superior rectal artery, uh, supplying the rectum down as far as the upper part of the anal canal. Now we must turn to the inferior vena cava. And the important thing is to remind ourselves that much of the blood from the gut is going to pass into the portal vein and then via the liver before it drains through the left and right and middle hepatic veins to reach the inferior vena cava, inferior to the liver. But other branches we must note are the inferior phrenic, mimicking the inferior phrenic artery, And then there's the suprarenal vein on the right side going directly into the IVC, whilst on the left side the suprarenal drains into the left renal vein. Also into the left renal vein is the gonadal vein and some branches from the ureter, whereas the gonadal vein on the right side joins the inferior vena cava in its anterior aspect at about L1 or 2. Then posteriorly there are a number of lumbar veins, in specifically the third and fourth drain into the IVC, whereas the upper ones, two and three, go superiorly to form the azygos veins. And then the branches of the inferior vena cava into the common iliac veins and the internal and external iliac veins have branches which mimic the arteries. A number of structures cross anteriorly to the IVC, including the bile duct, the liver, the opening of the lesser sac, the first and third parts of the duodenum, the head of the pancreas, the small bowel, the right common iliac artery, the root of the mesentery, the right gonadal artery, and the portal vein. For the sake of emphasis, just let's repeat that there are no tributaries from the gut directly draining into the inferior vena cava. Now let's have a word or two about the portosystemic anastomoses. At about six sites in the abdomen, there are connections between the systemic and the portal circulations. These probably form safety valves so that if there is a rise in pressure in the portal system, the blood can escape through into the systemic system. 
but there is only a limited ability for this to do so under normal circumstances and without producing toxic effects in the body. The surgical details of these anastomoses is outside the field of this podcast. The important ones are the association of the left gastric veins, which are portal, and the azygos veins, which are systemic, in the lower end of the esophagus. Another good example are the superior rectal veins, which anastomose in the upper part of the anal canal with the systemic drainage into the middle and inferior rectal veins. Less important examples of the anastomoses are in the bare area of the liver, where the patic and portal veins can mix with the systemic veins from the inferior phrenic veins. And sometimes we see similar retroperitoneal examples where the colonic veins can anastomose with the body wall veins behind either side of the colons. Before leaving the veins in the abdomen, we must note that there is a system of valveless veins in the pelvis called Batson's valveless veins, which connect many of the plexuses at the base of the broad ligament and the preprostatic plexus and other veins with the veins which are associated with the spine. Specifically, these are the internal and external vertebral plexuses. The implications are that cancer cells, for instance from the prostate, can pass backwards through these veins and actually allow the cells to lodge in the vertebral bodies. This would, of course, happen when there's raised intra-abdominal pressure. One might regard this as a disadvantage, but, of course, there would be considerable advantages in having these anastomoses when there is a blockage of the inferior vena cava. The blood from the legs and, and lower abdomen could, in fact, pass back through these intervertebral foramina to join both the external and internal vertebral plexuses, and these veins will then join up superiorly with the lumbar veins and the azygos veins and the branches of the vertebral veins. And in this way, we can get blood back to the heart that has not been able to pass up the inferior vena cava. An alternative pathway, of course, would be via the inferior and superior epigastric veins. Similarly, we could get blood back to the heart through the anti-abdominal wall. Now let's look at the muscles of the post-abdominal wall. They lie at either side of the five lumbar vertebrae, and we see that psoas major, for instance, arises from the intervertebral discs of T12 to L1, and then all the way down to L4-5. It also comes off the bodies of L1 to 5, and their transverse processes. It inserts, as we've seen before, into the lesser trochanter, and its nerve supply is segmental from L1 to 3. Its main action, of course, is flexing the hip. So as minor lies on it, and its um, connections are not worth attention. Quadratus lumborum is more lateral, and it's coming off the transverse process of L5, and the iliolumbar ligaments, and the posterior third of the iliac crest. It inserts onto the medial half of the twelfth rib, and then there's aliacus, which comes out of the hollow of the iliac fossa. Its tendon joins with that of psoas and again flexes the hip by inserting onto the lesser trochanter. 
It's perhaps worth noting that the alicus is supplied by the femoral nerve with its root value of L234. And then we must look at the lumbar plexus. It's convenient to add T12 to it, and so the lumbar plexus, we can say, is T12, L1, L2, L3, L4, and L5. The T12 is the subcostal nerve, which surprisingly passes right round the body and supplies a small area over the iliac crest. And then L1 is the iliohypogastric, which is the main branch of L1, whereas its collateral branch is the ileoingulon nerve, which supplies mostly the muscles. And its final branch we know to be supplying the conjoint tendon of the inguinal canal. It also supplies some skin on the lateral side of the penis, the medial side of the thigh, and the lateral side of the scrotum. Our next nerve is the genitofemoral nerve, which is L1 and L2. This small, thin nerve lies on the anterior surface of the saras major. It has a branch, the genital branch, which is L2, which passes into the internal ring and supplies much of the cord and the cremasteric muscle. It also carries sympathetic fibres for the dartos muscle. The femoral branch, meanwhile, which is L1, passes through the femoral sheath and supplies an area of skin over the femoral triangle. Uh, next nerve is the lateral femoral cutaneous nerve, which is L2-3. This passes laterally over the false pelvis and actually passes through the inguinal ligament right at its lateral edge. It then goes down the lateral side of the thigh to supply the dermatomes 2 and 3. It can be irritated as it passes through the inguinal ligament and it will give a condition known as moralgia paresthetica. And then finally, from the lumbar plexus, we have the posterior divisions which make the femoral nerve, L234. The anterior divisions form the obturator nerve, L234. And then the last two roots of 4 and 5 unite to become the lumbosacral trunk, which passes down into the pelvis to join the S1, 2 and 3 roots to become the sciatic nerve. And that concludes this podcast. We'll have a further look soon at the urinary tract and the reproductive system in the pelvis. Please visit our website at incidentanatomy.net where you can find the complete collection of all our podcasts. You can also subscribe, download or order any of our material. You will also find full details of our range of mobile apps.